Welcome to another Sunday morning sermon from Marysville Christian Church. We're glad you're here joining us on this journey to learn more, love more, and look more like Jesus. We invite you to grab a cup of coffee and a Bible as we dive into God's Word. It's great to be here. You never know what somebody's going to say when they introduce you. I kind of sound like somebody that really hasn't perfected anything, huh? <laughs> but I'm very happy to be here this morning to share some time with you and I must admit, I'm a little disappointed. For the first time, I had the, uh, I was ready to dismiss the kids that I always forget. And uh, I was all ready for it. And uh, then it, it happened before I got up here, so. It all was good. Sorry, I'm a little, apparently disheveled. My papers are out of order. I'm gonna put this down here. This is gonna tell me. It doesn't, doesn't matter. I gotta be honest, I couldn't see it down there anyway. So I'll look back there at those uh, particular slides. I want you to imagine something with me this morning. This, this message has really been uh, laying on my heart. And uh, I'm not sure why. And I was going to change the message because I didn't really want to preach it. But then I felt like I needed to. And so it's a message I believe that, I really believe that God has given me this morning to share with you. And so I have no props this morning. I have no, uh, nothing other than my words and some slides. Um, and hopefully you can take something home this morning and, and really uh, kind of uh, stew, in, stew in it. Think about it. But I want you to imagine this morning living in a place where things aren't like they used to be. Living in a place that at times is hard for you to even recognize. A place where years ago, things seemed like they were, you knew what to expect. You knew what was gonna happen. And now you live in this place where you never know what's gonna happen. It's confusing, sometimes scary, and sometimes you just wonder, why don't I recognize this place that I live in? It seems upside down. There are some things in this world that you live in that at one time were unspeakable in public, much less private, and now they're just presented as normal. Down is up, bad is good, wrong is right, and as you travel through this land that you live in, you're wondering, how do I live in this land? You look around at your political leaders, elected officials, and you're like, who can I trust? Can I trust anyone? What's going on? In this place, that you live in, you've heard of believers being verbally persecuted. You've heard of destruction of property for these people. You've heard of Christians being mocked for their beliefs. And you wonder, how far away is that from me? Or maybe more importantly, how close is that from me? And as you live in this imaginary land, 
and you think about these things, and then you read about churches in the global south and Christians in the global south and people, places like Southeast Asia and Africa and Latin America and the Middle East. Christians who are truly being persecuted physically, being killed for their beliefs. And sometimes in the dark, you think, how far off is that? How do I live in this land that I imagine? You feel like sometimes this may not be very far off. It's pretty easy to imagine living in that place, isn't it? As a matter of fact, over the last two and a half years, it's been crazy. And many are frustrated. And some are scared. And some are not sure to do. And I had people ask me, how do we live in this world that we live in? How do we live in this place? It's when I read this passage and studied this book, Actually, initially, I looked at this passage when I was getting ready for my father's funeral back in June. And it really touched me in the fact of how relevant Scripture is. That was mentioned this morning. You think Scripture isn't relevant for today? Take a few minutes and read Scripture. It is relevant. There is nothing new under the sun. I think the ecclesiastical writer says that. Nothing surprises God. God is not surprised. I was talking to my wife about this message, and that's one of the things that she brought out. She said, you know, no matter what's happening, no matter what's happened in the past, no matter what happens in the future, it's not a surprise to God. He knows us. He created us. He's going to be there for us. I want to talk this morning about a, a writer who very much addresses some very similar questions that we may have to the world in which we live in. First Peter was written to a group of Christians in Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. And uh, Peter encourages these Christians, he says, endure suffering and persecution by giving themselves entirely over to God. He said, you want to endure? You want to be in a place where you don't have to be afraid? Then give yourself over to God. Commit to him. He also says in this book, he says, Jesus suffered and entered glory. He suffered and then he entered glory. And he says, just like him, his followers will suffer before they are exalted. He says, one day you will be exalted if you commit to God. And one of the great things he says in this book that I think all of us should write down is we need to remember where our citizenship lies. The recipients in this passage, many of them have possibly lost their jobs. They've had their belongings taken. People have looked to them with suspicion. They possibly have been kicked out of their business guilds and are having trouble running their businesses and making money at their businesses. They've been marginalized. This was written to a group of Christians in Asia Minor that under the Roman Empire was being persecuted. Now, not yet maybe persecuted physically, 
but definitely under persecution, marginalized, looked at suspiciously. And if you think about what was going on in Rome at this particular time, uh, Nero was the emperor. And if you read history, the first few years of Nero's um, reign weren't too bad. It got bad. It got real bad. And at some point during his reign, sometime around the mid-60s, um, there was a fire in Rome, a big fire in Rome. Now, there's some speculation here, but there's not a lot of evidence, but it's known that Nero wanted to update some of the buildings in Rome. He wanted to uh, put some money toward upgrading and changing some buildings, and the Senate would not agree to it. Well, lo and behold, there was a fire. Some people believe Nero was behind the fire, but nobody's ever proved it. But this didn't look good. It wasn't good ops for Nero for him to have been trying to burn down Rome. And even though it may not have been true, that's what the news was saying, so that's what people were believing. And so he decided, I need a scapegoat for this. And he says, you know who started that fire in Rome? You know who's not somebody who's on our side? You know who's somebody who's not a patriot to Rome? It's those Christians. And people looked around and they realized, you know, maybe he's right. We have this pagan religion that we follow. We go through these different rituals and things. They don't do that. They don't follow our pagan rituals. They don't participate in our religious holidays. As a matter of fact, they have their own. Many of them being Jews, they participated in their own rituals. And so it wasn't hard for people to believe that, well, maybe it was the Christians. And so they began to be persecuted verbally. Many had lost their jobs. Some of them couldn't get jobs, I've already said. What did they do? Well, First Peter says, remember, again, this idea of citizenship, your pilgrims. He addresses the book to these pilgrims, to these sojourners, to these exiles. And he wants them to know this world you're living in is not your destiny. This world is not where you were meant to stay. You're a pilgrim. You're a sojourner. You're just passing through. So this isn't all that there is. So Nero had blamed them, and Peter comes and he answers some questions. He calls them elect. He says that they are chosen by God. He said they should praise God for the hope they have no matter what's going on around them. And he says as God's chosen, he says you have a future inheritance because you have this God who's chosen you. You have this future inheritance. And he says, because of this, you need to live holy lives. How do they do this? Imagine the anticipation of these early Christians in Asia Minor and these churches that were scattered around modern-day Turkey as they found out there's a letter from Peter. Peter wrote a letter. Peter, the one who preached the, the sermon on the day of Pentecost. Peter, the one who was out there in front. Peter, the leader of the church in, in Jerusalem. There's a letter from Peter. What's he going to tell us? How do we make anything of this? 
He's going to tell us how we need to prepare to, to live in this world. What's he going to tell us? And maybe they thought, well, he's going to tell us that we need to organize. And maybe what we need to do is we need to march on Rome. Or maybe we need to make some signs and we need to go down to the local Roman government office and we need to pick it. Or maybe we need to stock up on some arrows and some swords and some spears and some slingshots. Because we're not sure what's going to happen, but man, we better be prepared. And Peter's going to, this letter's from Peter and he's writing to us. What's he going to say? And what does he say to them in the beginning of chapter 2? Well, let's read verse 25 and then go into 2. 24. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass wither and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. So he's saying, you need to be holy. You need to understand you have an inheritance. And he said, therefore, 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 he's getting ready to tell us what we need to do. He says, therefore, get rid of all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander of every kind. Like newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Can you imagine those early Christians in Turkey hearing this? Like he's turned the tables. We thought he was going to tell us what to do as far as those guys over there. But he's telling us you need to get your life right. When you live in this world that you don't understand, when you live in this place that doesn't make sense, he says, get rid of the toxins out of your life. Get rid of malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander and of every kind. He says, here's what you need to do in this world you live in. You need to make sure you're maturing as a Christian. And it may seem right. It may seem the thing that you need to do is tell everybody else about what's going on. Tell everybody else about the wrong that's been done to you. Take revenge on those people who have done that. But no, he says, you know what you need to do? You need to rid yourself of all malice. Peter sounds like a first century spiritual environmentalist, and he tells Christians to get rid of the toxins in their life. Get your life right. Get your life right. If we don't watch out, it's possible that our lives will become toxic waste, chemicals of sin, self-destruction, and we can't even make an impact for God because we have this in our lives. The picture painted in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1 is a Christian who has allowed sin to accumulate to the point where they are radioactive to live the life God has intended for them to live. They're radioactive to love other people that are around them. They're radioactive and they can't be the people that God intended them to be. So he says, unload the bad stuff. Literally, the Greek here says, strip off one's clothes. Strip off that way of living. Strip off that malice and get rid of it. Rid yourself of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every evil. Toxic one is uh, malice. This is sort of a generic name for anything and everything that is bad. We live in a world where 
You know, you look around and evil is galore. He says, get rid of it. Get rid of the malice that comes from the, the same root word that gives us this word malice is the same root word that gives us the word malignant. We all know that there are many different types of cancers, but that we don't want any of them. And he says, get rid of the malice in your life. We should all look within ourselves. He's telling them, look within yourselves and check for those sins that are polluting us from the inside out. Those sins that can include anything from selfishness to murder, from a bad attitude to a bad action. Is there anything sinful in our lives that should be confessed to God? He says, get rid of it. Dump it. Get forgiveness for it. And on the one hand, Peter is kind of generic here with this word malice, where he's kind of just talking about all things that are evil. And then he says, toxic number two, deceit. Deceit is misleading others for selfish purposes. It's something that uh, we are all prone to do on a regular basis. Sometimes, you know, people ask us questions and we kind of, we tell them the technical truth. We don't tell them the whole truth. And it can become real, like, concrete. I had a, I knew a guy once, his name was Ian, and he recycled lots of stuff. And one of the things he loved to recycle was cars, because he could open up the oil in the engine block, and he could pour very heavy metals in that engine block, and then when he would take it to sell it, guess what, it, it'd weigh a lot more than it was supposed to. But they couldn't prove it, so they'd pay him for it. You've known people like that. Maybe you are someone like that. He says, get rid of that. Don't be somebody that is deceitful. The person who washes the engine to disguise the oil leak before you sell the car. Um, the student who plagiarizes someone else's paper in order to get a good grade. The job applicant who they say, well, everybody exaggerates just a little. I can tell you that I hire people and some people exaggerate a whole lot. <laughs> he says, don't be one of those people that are deceitful. Deceit is representing myself as better than I am. It's withholding information that people need. It's tricking the other person into doing what I want them to do. It's a toxin of the soul. And then he says hypocrisy. This word hypocrisy, you know, there, as you read through the scripture, there are words that are translated from the Greek, and then there are words they just kind of carried over from the Greek. And this is one of those words. It comes from the theater, and you've probably heard it before. Acting a part. He says, get rid of hypocrisy out of your life. Get rid of trying to be, trying to represent yourself as somebody that you're not. There's often temptations that we have to, to play a certain part. Pretend that we're really better than we are. And it goes along a lot with deceit, but it can be different than that. As we're living a fake life. We're living a life that people see on Facebook. But then they meet us and they thought, who is that? It's not being genuine. It's not being real. It's acting a part. We have a friend somewhere far, far away who has a Facebook account. I'm not going to tell you their name, but uh, if you read their Facebook account, you would thought they should get mother of the year, wife of the year, woman of the year, and you look at it and you think, whose account is that? 
We've known this person for a long time. I could say a lot more, but I'm not going to. But you know what it is. Don't participate in hypocrisy. And then he says envy. This may be one of the most common pollutants of all. Envy is rooted in a comparison with others and wanting what they have and a deep satisfaction that we all don't like what we have. We can also be envious when we're happy when bad things happen to people. We're not happy when good things happen to them because we're envious. Envious is when I feel really good because you got fired, because you were sick, because you got caught, because you failed. And as a person, if I feel good about this, then I have a problem with envy. And he says, you know what? Get rid of the envy. While you're getting rid of the hypocrisy and the deceit and the malice, get rid of the envy. And then he says, toxic number five, in case he missed anything, he says, slander of every kind. Get rid of slander from your life. Slander is saying bad things about other people. Slander is sometimes gossiping when the other person is not there. It is usually done when the other person is absent. And it's definitely one of those feel-good sins. It feels good to tell gossip about somebody else. It feels good sometimes to say things that aren't exactly true, or maybe they are. You know you're in trouble when somebody says, well, I don't mean to gossip. I don't think I'm gossiping. But did you hear? Did you hear about David Dodd? <laughs> and then proceed to tell the story. That's slander. We often rationalize, rationalize this sin by insisting that what we are saying is true. But the issue here is not a truth or a lie. It's are you building other people up or are you tearing other people down? We all know that some people, we know in our workplace, there are some people you can go to and talk to and you know you're safe. And if you don't know that and you talk to somebody, you find out really quick whether you are safe with that person. There are other people that we wouldn't dare tell anything to because we know that's not safe. But I'm telling you, as Christians, we need to be people who are, can be trusted by other people. We need to be people who, when they're going through troubles and they need some, somebody to lean on and some help and some prayer, they're going to come to you and ask you. And you're not going to go tell everybody else or post it or get on a phone call and tell everybody what's going on in that person's life. We're going to be able to be there for them. There's a strange irony about slander. The more we tear down others, the lower we drop ourselves. It doesn't just hurt others. It hurts us as well. And I would say it also hurts our reputation as Christians. When people can't be safe with us. When they can't confide in us without worrying about who's go who, who we're going to tell. This list of these toxins aren't exhaustive. The toxins of the soul come with hundreds of names, come with thousands of flavors. This is not about theological heresies or sexual sin or social justice. Those are all important for sure. 
This is about the sins of the soul that hinder Christians being able to love one another, being to love other people, being able to love the way that we're intended to love other people in Christ. The point of this list is not so much specific sins of which we are guilty. The point is get rid of those sins. Get rid of those sins that are in your life. Just as we start every day looking into the mirror and washing and and taking a shower and cleaning ourselves, we head out to meet other people. We should start every day looking at our souls, looking at ourselves, making sure spiritually that today I'm going to be that man or woman that God would have me to be. He says, rid yourself of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Getting rid of the toxins is not good enough. To be healthy, he tells these young Christians, he says, you need to grow. You need to be nourished. How do we go? How do we do that? Peter goes on to tell them how to grow spiritually strong and healthy. He says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. What do you crave? What do you crave in your life? There was a, uh, there's a saying you've probably heard. Um, you are what you eat. It was made famous back in the late 1800s, early 1900s by a Frenchman named, uh, his name was uh, Brillant Severe. He was an early um, foodie. He did a lot of other things. But he said this statement, and you've heard this statement, and it means whatever you crave, whatever you eat, is going to influence how you live your life. The things you take in physically is going to impact your health. The things you take into your mind is going to impact your health. So the question is, what do you crave? Peter says what you need to crave is the pure spiritual milk of God's word. Remember there back in the end of chapter 1, this is a, this is a bad uh, break, uh, but it says, For all men are like grass. He quotes the Psalms. And all the glory is like the fields of the flower, flowers of the fields. The grass withers and the flowers fail, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourself of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Have you ever seen a newborn baby? It doesn't take them long to figure out that they need nourishment. Now, some babies take a little bit longer to figure it out than others, but they figure it out. And if you've ever fed a baby that's hungry, I mean, they go at it. I remember when our children were little, the doctor said, don't worry about your child. Don't pick your child up if they're crying. As long as they're not hungry, dirty. Hmm, there was one more. <laughs> I probably wasn't the best dad. But anyway. <laughs> oh, oh, hurting. That was the other one. Lesser hurt, you know, hurting. Um, my wife can probably attest to that. I tried, though. But... Um, you take this baby and they're hungry and you pick them up and you give them that mother's milk and what do they do? They go at it. They're ready for it. Uh, they can't get enough of it. 
And then you put them down, and a little while later, they're hungry again. He says, and I, I think that's a good picture of us as Christians. He says, crave that pure spiritual milk that is the Word of God. Crave that. Uh, take that in. Because why? You are what you eat. What you crave is what you go after. And what you consume affects the way you live your lives. And Peter is saying to these people, you live in this world that you're not even sure you recognize. There are things going on that you don't understand. What do you need to do? Live like God's people. Get the bad stuff out of your life and go after the things of God, the Word of God, so it can transform you from the inside out. You know, they say milk is one of the most amazing foods. A mother's milk is the they say it's the best milk for a mother, or a mother's milk is the best milk for a baby. Uh, uh, a cow's milk is the best milk for a calf. Because it all has, they all have the same minerals, they all have the same nutrition, just in different amounts. So you got this baby taken in this milk, and he's growing, she's growing, and she's growing into an adult someday. You take a cow's milk, you feed it to a calf, and they grow, you know, 900 pounds, 1,000 pounds, whatever, because it's the perfect milk for them. It's the perfect nutrition for them. And milk comes in a variety of forms. I would suggest that one of the things we can do as Christians, as we're living in this world, is be careful what we consume. Be careful what we crave. Really spend time in the Word of God. I have a friend, <coughs> excuse me, who takes his time in Scripture very uh, seriously. And every day, you know, he's reading Scripture. And I, re I read Scripture, but I read a lot of other things, and I enjoy reading other things also. And sometimes I will suggest a book to him, and he said, no, I'm not going to be able to get to it. I'm like, what do you mean? It's, it's a really good book. He said, yeah, but it may interfere with my time in reading scripture because I got a lot of stuff going on here right now. And I thought it was kind of cool a few weeks ago. Um, I was somewhere where he was coming to and brought his daughter with him. And I said, well, what's, what, what did you guys do in the car? And she said, well, I was reading the Bible to dad. I thought, oh, that's, that's really cool. That craving for that pure word of God. That craving to know that we need to grow spiritually. We need a regular diet of the truth of God like, like nothing else. We need to be reading the Bible, listening to sermons, reading, signing up maybe to be a, uh, for a spiritual mentor. Asking people for help as we realize we need to grow. People that are meditating on the word of God. Having those silent times and prayers. Listening to what God has for us to listen to, to what he has to tell us, how we can grow our lives. Be sure that your spiritual nourishment, he said here, is pure. Would suggest that there's some that's not pure. But without it, we're not going to grow. Without it, we're not going to become the people that God would have us be. And without it, we're just going to live in a world that we don't recognize, we don't understand, and we're going to be afraid. Peter tells the Christians here, don't be afraid. 
Don't be afraid. You're just traveling through. Talking about craving, I don't know what kind of food you crave, but my grandfather had never eaten pizza in his whole life. And he retired at 65, and uh, people would always say, oh, you gotta try pizza, and he's like, no, I'm not gonna try pizza. Don't li I don't like pizza. Everybody said, well, how do you know you don't like pizza? You never tried it. So when he was 65 and he retired, he decided to try pizza from the local pizza oven. And that was the beginning of the end for him not having pizza. He started eating pizza from the pizza oven. He started making pizza. I mean, he loved pizza. And he's like, I can't believe I waited 65 years to try pizza. Well, maybe we've waited too long to really get into the Word of God. And once we get into the Word of God, maybe we're going to say, wow, there's the answer. Peter says, here's what you need to do to live in the world we live in. He says, mature as Christians. Crave that pure spiritual milk and get that sin out of your life. I wonder if this took the people back. Like, you know, you know people, you know young people, old people. They have something to tell you about what somebody else has done and you say, hey, well, what about this? They, oh, no, we're not talking about that. I want to talk about Rome and I want to talk about the persecution that's going on. And, and Peter says, well, here's what we need to talk about. We need to talk about you getting your life right. We need to talk to you about you living holy lives. We need to talk to you about pursuing that pure spiritual milk that is the Word of God. I'd like to invite the worship team to come up. In the first years of Christianity, there was many different symbols that were carried over from century to century, but some were lost during the years. For instance, uh, early Christians used to wear white when they were baptized. That represents that purity of what happens when, uh, when somebody is baptized into Christ. Um, I thought it was interesting in Africa, they had a practice there that the candidate that was being baptized would come up before everyone and they would be in white and before they would be baptized, they would hand them a glass of milk, which before they were baptized, they would consume and then they were immersed into Christ. And the whole point of that was to kind of foretell what their life was going to be like. That, that maturity was going to come, but it wasn't going to come right away. It was something that they were going to need to pursue. It was something that they were going to need to go after. It was something that they were going to have to crave to make their life the way it should be. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to learn more about Marysville Christian Church and connect with us, be sure to go to our website, marysvillechristian.org. If you are near the Marysville area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday morning. We have our Bible study classes at 9 a.m. and our regular worship service is at 10 a.m. Our address is 17,000 Waldo Road, Marysville, Ohio 43040. Our phone number is 937-642-9838. Email is office at marysvillechristian.org.